This is How I Broke This, the show about those turning points, decisions, and sometimes mistakes that felt like they could break us, but they usually make us who we are. I'm Holly Hutchings. This first episode of 2019 is one that I'm very excited about and have wanted to do for a long time. My guest is Coach Eric Musselman, currently the head coach of the to date undefeated UNR men's basketball team. But even if you're not a basketball fan, why not? <laughs> or living in Reno, his story will still touch close to home. He's an involved dad, he's a dedicated husband, and a super kind human to those he meets. I met Mus at our neighborhood gym where we share an affinity for core work and sweet old guys who also work out there with us. For probably a year, I was way too nervous to talk to Mus because he's a local celebrity and I geek out and I say stupid stuff. But once I did, he didn't even seem to judge me for all my foot in the mouth moments. And when I got the nerve up to ask him to do my podcast, I couldn't believe he said yes. Coach Musselman has had an illustrious career in the NBA and now on the college level, and it's in his blood. Well, growing up, my dad was a basketball coach. He uh, coached at the collegiate level and then uh, was an NBA head coach. And so I wanted to walk in my father's footsteps. He was my best friend, my idol. Um, I'd go to his practices at a very, very young age and hang out with his team. I would go on road trips. And uh, so I knew when I was in college that what I wanted to get into was uh, was coaching. I didn't know if it would be on the professional level, the collegiate level, but I knew that I wanted basketball uh, to be the path that, that I was going to venture into after college. With a coaching legacy to continue, as he started his career, I asked... What was it like coaching your first game? Like we know Mus is like passionate, animated, running up and down the court, but who was that guy the first time? So I was 23 or 24 years old coaching a CBA team, which is a minor league uh, in Rapid City, South Dakota. And uh, I remember being over the toilet, throwing up uh, with nerves. All the players were older than me. There was one player younger than me. Um, but we had a really good team my first year. I was really lucky to have uh, players that were mature and kind of a player-coach team is what I said. They uh, they allowed me to coach them because at the professional level, you know, those guys were all trying to go from the CBA to the NBA. Uh, many of them did. I think one year we had six guys called up to the NBA, so it was a high level of play with a lot of pressure. Um, but... Certainly, when you do things for the first time, I was learning on the job without a question with, like I said, people that were older than me. Yeah, that's intimidating. <laughs> it's good to know that you've also thrown up, though, because, like, you're so confident and good. That I have thrown up. I have had <laughs> nerves. I still get nerves to this day before every game. Really? Yep. Do you do, like, a relaxing strategy? or? I sit in the locker room alone while the assistant coaches are out on the floor with our players and uh, try to get my, one of my sons to sit back there with me. I pace um, in the locker room and go through all different scenarios that could happen. I read the scouting report for the 150th time. 
um, on the opposition, and and uh, and then I sit back there and watch film as well, leading up to the game because we get to the game two hours before tip-off, and so that's a long two hours when you're sitting there alone. <laughs> yeah, seriously, it's either like get more worked up or just like get down to business. Okay, so if you weren't coaching and you had all the time in the world, what would you be doing? Well, if I was independently wealthy, I'd be sitting on the beach <laughs> in San Diego somewhere if I wasn't coaching. But, um, you know, if I was still in the prime of my life, so to speak, age-wise, um, I guess teaching, because really coaching is teaching. Um, I guess I'd be a PE teacher at Muralins Junior High in San Diego, <laughs> uh, teaching PE classes and oh, trying to gosh. get kids to do jumping jacks and push-ups. That's awesome. When I see you at the gym with Mariah, I could envision that. <laughs> okay, what are you reading right now? Do you have time to read any books? Um, Gridiron Genius is the book that I'm going to read on my little three-day vacation that I have <laughs> coming up. It's written by Michael Lombardi, uh, who's worked under some Hall of Fame coaches, Bill Belichick, um, for old 49ers coach uh, Bill Walsh, and, and uh so I'm reading that particular book. Uh, he also worked for Al Davis with the Raiders. Uh, but every day I read an hour and 10 minutes on cardiovascular machine. I print out leadership uh, articles. I'll just go on to the web and I'll put in leadership motivation, head coach feature, and just read. I like to read head coaches' press conferences. Um, I like to read about coaches that have been fired, uh, what that press conference is like. Um, just trying to learn every day and then try to take those things that I learn, I highlight, bring it into the office. We discuss things as a staff, and then uh, we share it with our team. That goes to that teaching thing, like you're always enriching and learning and passing it on. Today's lesson at practice is just going to be a quick two-minute, you know, social media, how it impacts, and we, we're using a baseball player. Uh, who almost threw a no-hitter the other day, and he had put something on social media at a young age, and no one knew about it, but he got close to throwing a no-hitter, and someone started digging into his background. Um, And without his success on that particular game, nobody digs into his social media. So you just never know when someone's going to look into that. And we talked to our guys about wiping things off that you don't want somebody to read and how you should use social media as a platform to, you know, like a job interview for for college-age students. Take me to the turning point that we're going to talk about today. What was going on in your life and kind of what happened? Well, I was uh, the head coach of the Sacramento Kings, and uh, during that time I had just gotten uh, recently divorced, which is you know, as hard as anything any human being can go through. And, and I was close enough to my kids. Uh, Michael and Matthew were in the Bay Area in Danville, California, Sacramento. Door to door was about an hour and 15 minutes. So I was uh, trying to be a dad, trying to go watch. Um, I, my son would have a little league game. I'd drive over, watch it right after practice, drive back that night. And so I was trying to kind of serve two things, be a dad, which was an hour and a half away, and coach an NBA team. And it was difficult, got fired after one year, not even on the job, 12 months. And, uh, you know, it was the first time in my life that I felt like I had failed professionally. Um, Had been a head coach with the Golden State Warriors and had had a job there for two years and got fired. But 
it was a change in management, so didn't really feel like yeah, I failed. Yeah, it was like a personal thing. Right, but the uh, but the King situation, it was it's the one job to this day that I feel like, you know, given more time, more opportunity, uh, results could have been different. But things happen in life, and and uh, you know, I think that when you're fired, it's humbling. Uh, I made a decision for three years then not to coach. It was the first time in my life that I was away from being with the team. Really. And, I got into doing media stuff. I started doing college TV games, uh, moved back with my sons. Uh, and then after three years, I was sitting in carpool lane and I kind of looked around and uh, so I just said, hey, you know what? I probably need to get back in this coaching thing. And so, uh, but Did that was- Did you step back because you were, because of any of those feelings? Like, oh, maybe I'm not as good at this as I should be or were you like bummed yeah I didn't I didn't really lose any confidence as a coach um I was more worn out yeah. uh, just the uh you know the scrutiny of coaching an NBA team uh 82 games every game's televised most nationally but uh certainly on the on the dish which means on the NBA you know packet yeah. games yeah. are going national and so, uh, and then, and then you add in print media, social media. So for that, you know, I just needed a break and it was really good for me professionally. It was good for me to reconnect with my sons. And then I met my current wife, which all good things happened during <laughs> that time. But while it's going on, you really don't, you know, you really don't know, uh, you know, where your career is going. And I didn't know, cause I was, I started to enjoy the media stuff, but I missed the highs and lows of coaching. Yeah, and I like what you said that you don't know what's around the bend, like that it is going to be all good things. Like you could have maybe not met Danielle or not been able to move by your kids or, you know, it could have just been the totally other direction. Yeah, I mean, those three years are three years that, you know, because when you coach, you're guilty of not being there for holidays with your kids or your wife and you miss a lot of time with travel. And so that three years kind of alleviated some guilt yeah. Um, and, you know, my sons needed me at the time. They were, you know, going through junior high and elementary school. And and, uh, and so it was a way for us to kind of get back together. The prior two years before Sacramento, I was an assistant coach with the Memphis Grizzlies. So Memphis to Danville, California is not easy to get back and forth to. Yeah, I know. And I think your dad had passed by then. Is that right? Yep. Did your mom have any feelings about your being let go? No, I think my mom is, she's been, you know, a part of it because my dad was a coach. So I don't think my mom, you know, she's kind of understands the coaching business and, yeah. and you're hired to get fired. And that's kind of what happens, especially at the professional level. Yeah. Um, okay. So you ended up after three years deciding in the carpool lane, I'm, <laughs> I need to get back to work. So then quickly, you don't have to tell me the whole thing because I can look it up but like what are the steps that led you from that time to here because that was probably what 07 08 yeah 09. I mean the, the big thing was um when I decided to get into coaching at my next job actually was in Reno coaching the Reno Bighorns D-League team I did that for a year uh then the Lakers I did their D-League team in Los Angeles and then at that point I kind of had to make a decision did I want to stay the pro ranks or try to go into something completely new I had never been at the college level coaching so I went and was assistant coach at Arizona State for two years and then went to uh, LSU for a year. And prior to going to LSU was the big career 
thing for me because the Minnesota Timberwolves had called about going and being an assistant coach with Flip Saunders, who had played for my dad. He was a lifetime oh. friend of mine, and it was either go to Minnesota where I had lived before, work for like a family this friend. Zone. Yeah. Uh, he was president of the team and head coach, so I would have had longevity and. Uh, or go to Baton Rouge with a guy that I had never even met before in a city that I had never met. Assisting in college. So I went and I became uh, the assistant coach at LSU, and it was wow. the best thing I did because it prepared me for the job uh, here at Nevada. Awesome. Well, we're glad you did that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so just to wrap up your learning experience, what now that you've got some distance and you can really reflect on that and you've had success – what are your biggest takeaways from that? And cliche as it is, but would you change anything that happened? No, I mean, I think that, um, you know, whenever you hit adversity, it, it makes you stronger. I mean, everybody says that, but when you go through it, it it's difficult. Um, you know, there was a point where I didn't know if I was going to coach uh, during those three years. You know, I went and I was in a, that was a, head coach of the Venezuelan national team. I was a head coach of the Dominican Republic national team. I did those in the summer, you know, going and coaching in Caracas and coaching a, a group of guys that only half the team speaks English. That's not easy, mm -hmm. but it made me a better coach. Um, you know, the practice facilities that we used in the Dominican Republic was not what I was used to in the NBA. <laughs> um, but it was both those experiences made me a better coach. Little things like, you know, when you have people that don't speak your language you have to demonstrate better so all these things that were hard at the time I look back now um, and if I have a friend or a, someone in the coaching profession come and watch practice and they say wow that was really detailed how you demonstrated some drill or some footwork on a defensive stance I always revert back and laugh and say yeah because I was coaching guys who couldn't speak the same language <laughs> yeah that's as, your same language as so, the sport but yeah, I think all it was all good what happened, um, you know, to me and and uh, the two experiences of being fired because it's happened twice, and that was with the Warriors and and Kings at the NBA level, and both experiences I think really helped define who I am. They made me appreciate the jobs that I had following being fired much more than probably at the time of being a young guy rising up in the coaching profession. Yeah. No, I'm, I feel that way, too. That's why this podcast is born of my own experiences, making a lot of bad choices. But you do get so much better if you actually learn from them. And not bad choices like yours wasn't a bad choice. But mine, yeah, when bad things happen, just to actually apply it to your life and do good things with it. And I think that our listeners will feel that way, too. <laughs> um Okay, so do you, last question, do you find any value, I know it's uncomfortable sharing anything that's like gone awry, but do you think there's value in sharing this kind of stuff and talking about it and letting people know that there's downs? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really valuable because I think that especially young people can learn from older veteran people who have gone through things and... Um, you know, as, as I've gotten older, I want to learn from people's mistakes. That's why I, you know, at the beginning of this podcast, I stated that I like to read uh, introductory press conferences when coaches are hired. And just as much I like to read when guys are fired, I like to read those articles to see what happened, why did the relationship with the coach and the general manager not work out, or uh, 
if a collegiate hockey coach is fired, why did the athletic director and that hockey coach, where did that not work? Was it recruiting? Was it X and O's? Was it relationship? So yeah. I, you know, I'm overly intrigued by the process of people in my own profession who get hired and people who are released from their jobs as well. What would you tell your sons now that you have one assisting for you and you're kind of, you know, carrying on that legacy with your dad doing that with you? What would you tell him if he, and probably when he ever gets let go from somewhere? Well, I mean, if you enter the profession of coaching, you're going to get fired. I mean, that just happens. And you can't take it personal and you got to learn from it. You got to grow from it. You have to dissect why that decision was made and then you have to become better and I certainly feel like I've gotten better at every job that I've gotten an opportunity to coach because uh, you learn from your mistakes it could be little things with uh, how you deal with the player rotation or uh, it could be a, a last second play that you diagram that didn't work like you had envisioned and maybe you alter that last second play slightly I think there's just so many things that you can learn um, from success and probably more importantly, you can learn from failure. I agree. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> okay. Well, that's all I got unless you awesome. have anything you want to add. No, <laughs> oh my gosh. Isn't he cool? He could add life coach to his coaching resume and I would be his first client. A recent Sports Illustrated article written by Tim Layden kept hitting on Mus's intensity I think we could hear that a bit and we can definitely learn to dissect those things that don't pan out for us and move forward with a better game plan. I don't like calling these big turning point moments in our lives, quote unquote, mistakes, because they're not. Even when we feel like something's not gone according to plan or even like we failed, those times can offer us a gift to learn and be better. I think Mus said that better than anyone. Thanks again to Coach Mus and thanks to you for listening. And keep an eye on the Nevada Wolf Pack, everyone. I'll see you next time.